The film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths, in particular Sally Hardesty and her invalid brother Franklin. It is all the more tragic in that they were young. But had they lived very, very long lives, they could not have expected, nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and macabre as they were to see that day. For them, an idyllic summer afternoon drive became a nightmare. The events of that day were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You are listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on site. The following podcast may contain adult language, conversations surrounding adult situations that may not be suitable for younger listeners, as well as spoilers for the films discussed on this podcast. You have been warned. Now, come on in. They must be destroyed on sight! It is They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, episode 105. And I'm your host, Lee. Got no pride in his home, Russell. And I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel. Just can't take no pleasure in killing Harper. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. And as you say, I take no pleasure in killing. But a man's got to eat, you know. It's a necessity sometime, yeah. 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 <laughs> We're not doing like a whole sort of planned tribute episode so much. But Toby Hooper recently died. So we figured, hey, why not? take the opportunity to uh, jump on the bandwagon that everyone else has and uh, cover Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974. Why the fuck not? And uh, mm-hmm. I know it at least sparked some interest in Daniel to um, download a bunch of Toby Hooper stuff to watch. So we might do some more uh, Toby Hooper in the coming month and a half or so. Yeah, no, definitely. I uh, I have not, in, until, until today, actually, I had not seen uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Although I had seen Summer School with Mark mm-hmm. Harmon. Um, quite a few times as a, as a, as a callow youth. So uh, I feel like that's sort of the perspective I'm going to bring is, uh, you know, I'm not really going to talk about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm going to talk about Mark Harmon today. Mark Harmon. Yeah. I feel like that's what people really come to this podcast for is, uh, you know, discussion of mid-80s tributes to uh, <laughs> classic horror films rather than uh, actual discussion of classic horror films. Yeah. And Mark Harmon conceals his own horrors as well. So, uh, you yeah, know, he, he does. He does. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, we, we, yeah, we figured we'd do Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But before then, we'll move on to our comments. We do have a few comments to go through here. So, uh, I'll just quickly get into them. We have two comments on our YouTube side of things from uh, a YouTube user named Painted Pony Films. And on our Zodiac episode, he says, I saw this film, one of the only ones on the subject, I think. I don't think they showed enough. I remember they showed the murder scenes at the lookout parking place, but didn't show enough of the murders. I wish a better Zodiac movie would come out, but nonetheless still worth watching. 
I I think also American Graffiti is a San Fran based movie and shows a murder scene at a popular parking spot for young adults. They must have been referring to the Zodiac. Okay, so when's the last time you saw American Graffiti, Daniel? 20 years ago. <laughs> okay, so uh, this is probably not going to help things. Uh, I, I don't remember a murder scene ever being shown in American Graffiti. I don't know if... I think he must be thinking of a different movie. It's possible. No, yeah. I, don't, I don't remember a, I don't remember a murder scene, but, you know, I could, I could be mistaken. But, yes, it's been, it's been decades yeah. since I've seen American Graffiti. I mean, I know George Lucas ended American Graffiti on a downer with, like, the uh, what happened to the characters after the movie ended title cards. Like, this guy died in Vietnam. This guy got ran off the road and killed. These people became boring, upper-class, yuppie motherfuckers, you know. But before then, the entire movie is, like, this casual series of vignettes with different characters having their last night of summertime driving around the city. Actually, it's... um. It's it's pretty much Van Nuys Boulevard, but with yeah. higher production values, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't remember a murder scene, but uh, I, I, you know, maybe it's time to revisit American Graffiti to get yeah. the, uh, the connection to the Zodiac Killer. That's probably the uh, that's really that's really the message of George Lucas's career. I think you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, as far as not showing all the murders and stuff, I think we went over it in the episode. Basically, uh, David Fincher only wanted to show what was documented. You know, like right. the, the murders that they didn't really know anything about. You know, they didn't have living witnesses to talk about or whatever. They, they, they skipped those over. So they wanted to keep it more on point and focused on what there still was out there, what information there was. So, um, well, the the film is less about the the murders themselves. I mean, it's not it's not a slasher film. It's a yeah. film about a slasher. You know, and it's about the sort of like the social context of it and the uh, the sort of the, the the obsession of the people kind of hunting for the, the killer right. more so you know it's really i mean the, the killings are really just the setup for the story it's not really mm-hmm. about the killings at all so i think that's uh i mean you know i understand that i mean you know um I, I don't know i feel like the zodiac has been so done in culture and we've we've kind of we have decades worth of films that are you know aping the zodiac i don't know that we need a, a you know a circular film that's just let's follow the zodiac around especially since we don't really know what the real story is because mm-hmm. you know he was never found you know and we don't even if we discovered who it was today we'll probably never really get a clearer but, idea of what yeah. actually one of these scenes than we have right now so i don't know i don't know if the idea of like you know let's try to do a photorealistic recreation of the zodiac killings is a uh, a reasonable thing you know i still think their uh interpretations of what the killings they have enough information about in the first place going down in the movie that we see. Yeah. I think they're pretty brutal enough. Like they're pretty cold and clinical and just right. I mean, is he asking for just more blood? I mean, it just, it seems like, it seems like he's, he's, I mean, I I don't, I don't really get that comment unless he's just like, I'd like to see a serial killer movie. that's just about a realistic depiction of the Zodiac killer. Mm -hmm. But you know, I don't, I mean, okay, sure. I mean, if somebody wants to make it, I, I mean, I'll watch it. It's probably interesting, but you know, it's not, I don't know why at this point, you know. And yeah, just to watch the town to dread the sundown, like you know. <laughs> yeah, town to dread the sundown would also kind of fit into that. But yeah, um, and I mean, we we have open invites. Eventually, Daniel and I are going to be on uh, badasses, boobs, and body counts whenever they do that uh, Zodiac uh, movie that uh, just goes into wild speculation and <laughs> and, and bizarreness. So uh, wait for that. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
he also left a comment on our uh, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia review. He said, love this movie. Have it on Blu-ray, limited to 3,000 copies. Had to do it. It's Sam Peckinpah's masterpiece because it didn't have any studio influence. The Wild Bunch, now on director's cut, is also amazing, but this was done on a lower budget. Yeah, I mean, this was the tail end of Peckinpah's career, really, but it was the movie he wanted to make, for better or for worse. And I actually do agree that it's his masterpiece, honestly, but I know we had some differing opinions on it when we actually reviewed it. But yeah, it's a great movie as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I, uh, I mean, kind of coming back to that, I feel like I maybe came across as slightly negative on the film in the review because I really do love the film, but I think uh, maybe like it hit me on the wrong, uh, the wrong day that week, you know, where I rewatched it and just kind of wasn't feeling it. So uh, I don't know. That's one I'm definitely going to have to revisit sooner or later. But certainly on that first, when I saw it the first time, you know, many years ago, I mean, it, I definitely recognized it as a masterpiece. So maybe just the rewatch didn't. Uh, didn't hit me the way I wanted it to, but it's it's a great film and particularly uh, it's a great performance. Uh, Warren Oates, yeah, uh, Warren Oates is the man. <laughs> he yeah. really is. But yeah, we're gonna do more Peck and Pod too at some point. I mean, we we, we have to do Straw Dogs at some point uh, with yeah. Stray Dog. <laughs> that's that's the way I've always wanted to do it. I think that's gonna be a fascinating pairing. Is to, yeah, that, uh, that that that's probably the most Kurosawa and Peck and Pod together. Yeah, <laughs> but also I mean. We, eventually when we get back to westerns we need to do like the wild bunch and uh pat garrett and billy the kid and fuck we might even just do like a triple bill peckinpah do uh ride the high country as well because that's one of the uh sort of transitional westerns from the classic era to the modern era so uh sure it'd be something to do you know i'm always down for more westerns <laughs> oh yeah and we have some comments from cb fall now He's left several com- comments over the last couple of weeks. You know, we, we've been between weeks, you know, not having an episode here or there. So uh, I just collected them. You get to pick and choose which episode uh, they were left on <laughs> because they're all pretty much the same thing. And I'm not trying to make fun of CB Fall. I appreciate his enthusiastic support of basically everything I do now. Uh, nice. <laughs> he leaves comments on. So first comment, fantastic podcast, Lee and crew. Smiley face. Next comment, really excellent podcast. And finally, very excellent podcast. So, I mean, nice, nice. top marks across the board for us. I and, love, I love, I love uh, he, Lee and crew. That must have been an episode I wasn't on because you. Actually, actually that was an episode you and I were on and Paul oh. wasn't on. Oh, well, you know. So. <laughs> apparently, you, apparently, you uh, are an entire crew. Yeah, so. yeah, no, well, you know. He, he didn't know my name, but he knew, I mean, he knew yours, so that was enough. You're the crew. We do, we do appreciate, we do appreciate you listening and uh, commenting, so. Yeah. And finally, and this is the question that I wish Paul was here to answer. Paul is supposed to be here. He has the join link. Yet again, I don't know what happened to him. Either he got drunk or he had to work or something, but um, we'll see. I mean, at the very worst... Uh, we'll have to come back with a bonus episode for October and have him talk about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But Darren Wilson, who is the host of the Psychosemantic podcast, a podcast our friend uh, Kit Power has been on, mm-hmm. um, which is actually a really excellent podcast that uh, is far more political than we are, Go, goes into movies and then goes into the social and political commentary of those movies. And at the same time, has a lot of fun and doesn't come off as dry or stodgy or 
just over overly intellectual or bullshitty. It's it's a really really good fucking podcast, and if you haven't listened to it, you should listen to it. We have played the promos for them a couple times here on the show. So um, he says, "What's your third favorite Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie?" So I, I I've only I, seen one. I've only seen one at this point. So there's there's not not much I can say to this, but yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I think Darren. How many are there? There are there, four, right? There is like seven if you compare. Okay. If you if you if you uh, take into account the remakes, so you have Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you have Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two, you have three, you have Texas Chainsaw Massacre: The Next Generation, you have the remake, uh, you have the prequel to the remake, and then you have the recent Texas Chainsaw 3D which is supposed to be, in the continuity, a sequel to the original film that ignores all the other films. And, yeah, most of those are garbage. Uh, most of them are hot, hot garbage, by the way. And his question is slyly designed because I think he's going on the premise that I would say my first two favorite are Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. But, honestly, I would not... I don't know if I'd say that. I really like the fucking remake from the 2000s. I think it's actually really goddamn well done. I think it's not given its its fair uh, look at. It basically just goes the opposite of what the Texas Chainsaw Massacre actually did, where everyone accused that movie of being the most brutal, horrific, torture porn, Mm -hmm. sadistic movie ever, when really it wasn't. The remake actually goes more in that direction, and yet still pulls off a really decent sort of homage and remake of the first film. So, yeah, yeah it's hard because I really like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 as well. So, I mean, it, just initially thinking about it, that would probably be, yeah, that would be my third favorite, the, is Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, I think, because um, that's a really underrated, interesting movie as well. It takes the subtle humor in the original film and just amps it up into a just all-out black comedy kind of thing right. uh, and just goes balls to the wall i mean this is toby that Hooper. was a canon film right yeah it was yeah, a canon yeah. film it was i saw uh, it i saw i saw a commentary on it in the the canon film documentary that uh yeah was playing on netflix for a while yeah well, that's one we need to cover at some time at some point that's that's a fun film it's one where lots of money was, was thrown at them at certain points and then taken away because canon kind of did that shit because they were shady yeah. as fuck. Because they're canon, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that was also sort of the height of uh, Toby Hooper uh, just snuffing down mountains of cocaine as well. So, <laughs> and, and what, what else can you say? You know? Yeah. But yeah, honestly, probably Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 is uh, my third favorite Texas Chainsaw Massacre film. So there you go, Darren. And uh, if Paul does show up, uh, I'll get him to answer too because I'm sure he'll. Actually, he'll probably say it's part three because I don't think he's seen any of the uh, remakes or anything like that because his sort of uh, cutoff point is like 1999 for all horror movies for the most part. So, <laughs> is it that late, really? I was I was kind of thinking 1981 might be like the uh, kind of the, the, the furthest he's willing to go <laughs> into the into the present with uh, with watching. I guess for horror films, so he'll 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 uh, let it slide, but. Yeah, I'll make a brief mention. Uh, I just recently recorded the latest episode of City of the Dead with our mutual friend James Murphy over at the Pex Lives podcast. Uh, I'm the co-host of that. I'm lucky enough to have been uh, invited and installed as the permanent co-host for that podcast. And we're doing the Amicus films. And once we get through the Amicus films, we're going to start doing 
related films. You know, like we actually, on the latest episode after we finished it, we talked about what we we're going to do. And basically we have a cutoff point, 1979, nothing past 1979. So we're just going to start looking at older horror films uh, that are somewhat related to Hammer and Amicus and that sort of oeuvre, I guess, is the, is the word to say. And uh, we're having a lot of fun. We just did Tales from the Crypt, the original Tales from the Crypt. Oh, nice. Yeah, we had a lot of fun talking about that. And I assume that's going to come up fairly soon because we're getting to the end of September. So James tries to have an episode out every month. I'm, I'm expecting that's probably going to be up right next week. Uh, I will link to that. So uh, look for that uh, at the very least linked on the Facebook page. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, is that the best must, way to get a hold of us? It, it is the single best way to get a hold of us and uh, see what's going on with the podcast. And, uh, you know, let us know what you think about it. So there you go. Broadcasting from the Cursed Earth. The Psycho-Semanticast. Let us face, without panic, the reality of our time. The fact that atom bombs may someday be dropped on our cities. And let us prepare for survival by understanding the weapon that threatens us. To have a, uh, an ignorant, uh, thin-skinned megalomaniac uh, who sends off you know, Twitters at 3 a.m. if somebody angered him. Neo-Nazis turning up in Washington, D.C. to have a rally saying, Heil Trump. We talk about politics. I knew I couldn't trust you corporate greaseballs. We talk about movies. You can't come down here and arrest people just because of what they look like. Are you crazy? But that's police harassment. We talk about political movies. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. They're all around us and you never knew it. You can only see them with these special glasses. The Psycho Semanticast. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. Ah, ah, ah. It's a dead issue, man. Don't, don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, Prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of here. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything Dude, that kept Little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch one. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops.
All right, we're going to be looking at the Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974. What happened was true. most bizarre and brutal series of crimes in America. as real, just as close. Just as terrifying as being there. Even if one of them survives, what will be left? The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. After you stop screaming, you'll start talking about it. Directed by Toby Hooper. Written by Kim Hinkle and Toby Hooper. It is starring Marilyn Burns as Sally, Alan Danzinger as Jerry, Paul A. Partain as Franklin, William Vale as Kirk, Terry McMinn as Pam, Edwin Neal as the Hitchhiker, Jim Sidow as Old Man, uh, also known as the Cook, and Gunnar Hansen as Leatherface, and John Dugan as Grandfather. And the first synopsis we're going with from IMDb, and it is from Michael Brook. So let's see what you have to say. It says, en route to visit their grandfather's grave, which has apparently been ritualistically desecrated, five teenagers drive past the slaughterhouse, pick up, and quickly drop a sinister hitchhiker, eat some delicious home-cured meat at a roadside gas station before ending up at the old family home, where they're plunged into a never-ending nightmare as they meet a family of cannibals who more than make up uh, what they lack in social skills. I guess that fits. I don't know if it's never-ending. I think that's I think that might be the wrong uh, adjective to use there. Um, because well, I mean, if, if, if you take it ends pretty quickly, I mean, you know, it's it's not it's not a it's not an extended uh, a thing. Yeah, it might might be never ending for our um, our main lead, but other than that, yeah, for Sally there, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. emotional scarring for decades, surely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but of course, this is Toby Hooper's first big film, really, his kind of big break that put him on the map. He was making films. Before this, he is sort of a uh, hippie Texas director. He was a sort of, uh, he's, he's kind of this counterculture kind of hippie director who always wanted to make it big, always wanted to be in big movies. And he was apparently picking up cameras at the age of three or four. Oh, shit. And Paul just joined in. Yeah, I passed out again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. D- damn kids. Damn kids. All right. Well, uh, before we get 
right into the fucking review of the movie, Paul. I'll just I'll just go back to this. Que- I'll I'll go right back to this question that was uh, asked of us, so we can get your opinion as well before we uh, jump into this. By the way, we have Paul. His family's always been in meat Ramali. Yeah. So uh, uh, welcome, welcome, Paul. Glad you could join us. Um, Glad to be here. And uh, Darren Wilson from the Psychosomatic Podcast asked a question. I already gave an answer. He says, "What is your third favorite Texas Chainsaw Massacre film?" Ah, oh, third favorite. My my third favorite Texas Chainsaw Massacre film was probably Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two because I kind of like Leatherface a bit more. Not really. Than okay. The first, yeah. So it's the one, three, two. It's pretty much my. We had the right same there. answer. There you go. Although uh, my 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 second favorite is actually the uh, modern remake. There you go. Yeah, yeah, not uh, not me. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't think you've ever seen it, have you? Yes. Yeah. Actually, I oh, I, did I got a chance to see it, and I actually got a chance to talk to Gunnar Henson about it. And uh, basically, he spent forty five minutes crapping on it, which was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> mm. All right. Cool. Uh, so uh, we'll get back to the review then. Um, so I'm going to ask Daniel first. Uh, what are your sort of uh, since this is your first time watching this film? Uh, sure. What's your sort of initial uh, thoughts on this? I uh, really enjoyed it. I think it's not nearly as you know, sort of bloody and violent as uh, is sort of the reputation. Um, I really love the sort of oppressive atmosphere. I really love the sort of the it's 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 an isolated kind of area, so you get this this sort of sense of being all alone. I love how uh, real everything looks. I mean, you know, the kind of low budget and the uh, the kind of high contrast photography. Um, there's a lot of grain. I mean, it really kind of gives you this kind of you are there kind of element. Um, I mm-hmm. love the effects. I mean, that's really the the thing for me that I keep coming back to is just how good some of the uh, some of the models are, some of the some of the blood work and everything is. I love the the kind of slow moments in the middle. I love how uh, how much time we spend just kind of hanging out with these uh, these essentially these uh, Central Texas <laughs> losers. You know, <laughs> uh, we're just kind of hanging out with them. Uh, you really get a sense of kind of who these people are, at least to, to some degree. I know there's a there's a kind of a political reading we can get into maybe a little bit later, which is uh, you know much less overt than I think, you know, someone like Romero would make, you know, it's, it's, it's much more kind of of the moment sort of thing. You know, you kind of have to be there in 74. You kind of have to know what he's, what he's going for. But um, overall, I really enjoyed the film. I think it's uh, I mean, it's a classic obviously. Um, and uh, you know, an hour and 28 minutes, I mean, it, it flies by, you know, <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it does. It does not wear out its welcome at all. So yeah, really nice. Cool. Uh, Paul, when's the first time you saw it? And uh, what's your sort of initial thoughts on it? Probably when I was about 10. Rented it from West Coast Video. It was West Coast Video or Powerhouse Video back then. And uh, it was when we first watched, because we watched Night Living Dead. Not Night Living Dead, but we watched it because I watched that before. But it was like Evil Dead and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, things like that. Just to give you an example of what we were trying to watch back when we were like nine. Uh, (laughs) The first watches were always kind of like, okay, what's going on? We were never scared or anything like that for some reason, maybe because we were we were tortured children. But we were just look watching it, and you know the first one, it's kind of like okay, we're watching a film. All right, okay, this is uh, where's all the tits and blood and all the okay. And then <laughs> I still remember as soon as he he trips on the stairways, Leatherface comes out, smashes him with a hammer. And that door shutting. Ever since that moment, I was hooked on the film. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, now we're now th- shit just got real. Okay, we're good. We're good. That was my. I remember that 
that was the moment I got hooked on to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Because the first 25 minutes, I couldn't give a hell about the film. I was about to shut it off and put back uh, Evil Dead back in. Right. Which yeah. I, didn't give, I didn't give a shit about that film until the tree, 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 tree rape scene. Right. And mm-hmm. then I'm like, okay, now I'm stuck on this film. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. <laughs> When you're, yeah, when you're nine, you, you get you don't you don't give as many fucks. <laughs> I guess. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't. I'm dying now. I can't be t- wasted to watch a film with no death immediately. I don't know. But, Maybe it's... but yeah, you you do make a good point there because the film basically for like the first half hour or so just kind of builds up to that moment where mm-hmm. all of a sudden Leatherface shows up, hits the dude with the hammer, pulls him in, shuts the door. That's just a total changeover from what you'd seen for the first half hour. I mean, the first half hour had built up some menace and creepiness mm-hmm. because, you know, mm-hmm. there's grave robbers out there. Texas is really hot and everybody is weird mm-hmm. uh, and just kind of crazy, stir crazy, whatever. But then the next 15 minutes, half your protagonists are killed just quickly, like just knocked off. Like there's no... It's it's not like a slasher film where there's a stock scene or anything like that. It, it's just they all keep looking for their friends and they all keep getting killed and dispatched mm-hmm. like really goddamn quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably more the do of why people kind of like initially well, walked out see, of this. You have, to, you, have to, you have to understand the bad guys keep getting killed quickly because they're the trespassers. You yeah, that's... <laughs> they're, not, they're the bad guys. They shouldn't be on the property. The good well, guys keep having to kill them. Like another well, bitch. Yeah, that's the mentality of Leatherface because when you look at the performance of the character, and Gunnar Hansen has stated this, that uh, he, he went into this performance with the idea that these are intruders on his property and he can't understand why people keep showing up all of a sudden. Like It's, right. it's just like his worst possible day where well, I mean, obviously, he, uh, they, they just, they, they're ruining his life. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. cause yeah, obviously he's playing someone with a little bit of a, a handicap, that kind of idea. Uh, yeah. I, I, I like the Gunnar Henson's line. He says, Leatherface is the most violent, strongest, most powerful, and the most frightened character in the whole film. Yeah. Cause after, he's- after like, I think it's the initial, maybe it's the initial or it's the second time he kills. He, he runs into the living room and sits down on the chair and starts basically just freaking out. Why are these people showing him? What the hell is going on? You know? Oh, yeah. Cause, yeah there's no, un, unlike part two, there's no, I killed in ecstasy. Yeah. You know, that no, new, no using your chainsaw as a, as a <laughs> phallic symbol. Yeah. Yeah, Franco, I just used one of your lines, but I put I instead of she. But uh, I was it was one of those kind of deals. Like there was not no what you see in other classic like slasher genre horror films. I mean this is this is something that he's this is screwing him up as he's doing it. He's not having a good time doing this. He's just doing this because it's a it's the only thing he knows what to do. You know what I mean? Like what what is going on? Oh my god! And the guy tells him he don't want to go mess around no old house. Those things are dangerous. <laughs> it's like I I love just the the basically the warning is. Don't trespass because people around here will sh- kill you. <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, look, yeah. an old house. Let's go check it out." Hello. It, it it kind of builds on like the worst possible stereotype East mm-hmm. Coasters would have for Texas, basically. Yeah, everybody in Texas is like this, you know. Well, the, the, it, the best the best part of the film so far 
and I remember seeing this when I was a kid too for the first time was when they were both getting a cola outside the gas station and the upshot at their butts it was like great shot. <laughs> well, there's a couple of really nice butt shots in this. There, yeah. there are quite a few. There's there's quite a bit of a uh, quite a bit of that. And, yeah, uh, much, appreciated. much appreciated. Yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if I was to sort of read into it as far as like political sort of subtext goes, it's kind of and I, honestly, it's just where movies were going too. It's it, I mean, people sort of make a big deal now, and there's like a lot of hyperbole about how. Texas Chainsaw Massacre was like a real changeover for what horror would be in, especially in the North American markets. And, mm-hmm. but it's true. I mean, this, this takes off from kind of what night of the living dead gave us mm-hmm. in 68, where it becomes much more visceral, much more real, but here it gets even more real because you don't have the supernatural at all. And that's what probably 99% of fucking horror movies at, up to this point were pretty much your standard uh, either hammer or just uh, American international pictures, fucking supernatural horror movies. This is more about the current youth in the 1970s post Vietnam running up against the really decayed, perverted, insular previous generation in America. And it's an interesting sort of cultural clash there. And I mean, I'm pretty sure Toby Hooper, who was sort of a, a real dyed in the wool counterculture kind of dude, hippie in the sense of like uh, Dennis Hopper and people like that, that sort of hippie was putting that into this. There's some political stuff in there, but I don't think that he was thinking too much about it because they were all basically sweltering in a hundred degrees plus heat in Texas mm-hmm. and, and smoking a lot of drugs and, <laughs> and filming this fucking. It's hard not to not like think of Vietnam. Right, right. You know, with the heat and the sweat, you know, and then and then it's just kind of brutal violence. And you just see a helicopter going over playing ACDC or something like that. Right, so, something <laughs> something crazy, generic ass. They need, need, out on war movies. He needs fortunate son playing is like you know, yeah, yeah. land and uh, you know, CCR. Yeah, that's right. Somebody's yeah. saying, somebody yeah. saying gooks a lot. That's really the, uh, the gook. Yeah, boo. Charlie's up in the trees again. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, in in seventy four, I mean, I think people would have been, I mean. You know, it's interesting. This kind of comes at the kind of the tail end of Vietnam, whereas you know, something like Night of the Living Dead is kind of more in the midst of it. It's kind of more, you know, kind of before things got really disgusting on television. Because at this point, I mean, today, you know, the war in Afghanistan has been going on for sixteen years, and like we just kind of it's just sort of something that we know is happening, but we don't like see it on our television screens every night. But Vietnam was definitely that. I mean, there was footage constantly. This definitely kind of has that same kind of look and feel of of a lot of the Vietnam footage that you that you can imagine or Mm -hmm. you can remember. Um, So I think there's a real uh, element of that of like like, let's bring that violence home. Let's (laughs) let's not subject Vietnamese people to this. Let's put white people here and then like see how people feel about it. You know, one of the things we talked about in the crime series was you know the kind of '70s malaise that was sort of just kind of happening around this kind of time period. And this is, you know, there's the gas crisis, which is obviously something that's kind of, you know, on people's minds. Um, you know, the, the gas dishes out of gas. And I mean, you know, it's, it's this sort of like failed image of like, this is what America is now. We're just, we're just this disgusting, you know, lump of flesh that's, you know, just kind of perambulating wildly, but not really able to, uh, you know, we've lost our way. And of course, this is just how people act now because this is just who we are. You know, I think that's kind of going on underneath. I mean, but it's really, I mean, it's not, 
not nearly as overt as I think, you know, I, I think, it, I think it, it is fairly, uh, you can look past all that watching the film. If you're especially, especially today, it's, it's, you kind of have to put yourself in that 74 mindset to really kind of like get, get in with that, you know? Yeah. The movie does build up his suspense really well because you're just following his characters. And I think the performances in this are all pretty much across the board, really good. Like yeah. they're very naturalistic, you know, it's, it's not necessarily professional actors. It, again, there's sort of like that Romero thing where it's Hooper's using basically just like local actors and stuff who haven't done a lot of anything, but they give off these really naturalistic performances and I'll get more into why that is as well, because when we talk about sort of how grueling the shoot was and everything, it'll, it'll become more apparent, but everyone's kind of believable. You kind of, understand who every character is you kind of know who they are and then they just start dropping like flies so quickly that's what makes it the most shocking i think is that the violence is just really swift and realistic it's not a drawn out torture porn kind of thing it's just really quick it's two or three hammer shots to the head sticking a girl on a meat hook and a chainsaw on a, on a disabled guy and and that's really it there's hardly any build-up to it as well it, because like i said within like 15 minutes you lose over half of your protagonists actually mm-hmm. just just go down like that i mean basically yeah, everybody's dead. Like a girl. yeah yeah and everybody's dead like except, a for, except for the girl you know the the final girl and then you know we spend 20 minutes kind of you know terrorizing her and then the movie's over you know that's, yeah yeah that's the structure but um, I, I would I, like to highlight the hitchhiker the scene with the hitchhiker in the mm-hmm. van it's a great sequence it's so like kind of creepy because you know kind of coming at this not knowing the film at all going mm-hmm. like what the fuck is this guy's problem you know yeah. um kind of like referring uh you know kind of talking about the uh the the slaughterhouse and the you know, sort of you know this guy's like lost his job you know and it's like you know yeah. <laughs> It's like, yeah, it was better the old way because uh, back then, you know, I oh, had a job. You know? it's like, my God, you know, what a, what a, um, yeah, you used to hit him with the hammer, with the hammer yeah. right in the head. The, yeah. the, 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 the sledge was better. They died. The sledge better, was better, right? yeah. There, there's, a, there's a lot packed into that. Let me, I'll just, I'll just leave it, I'll just leave it there. But, um, yeah, yeah no, yeah. I love that scene. It's one of my favorite scenes in the film. I think I love like I said, that. just like, uh, just like from beyond, everything's better when it's awkward and creepy. Yeah, think, think even, I love even, even love scenes. Yeah, so it, it's not like the typical formula you would see in later, uh, like slasher films and stuff. Because this really isn't a slasher film in in that sort of sense. Like this is before that was kind of a genre, right? Yeah, like this yeah. is more established. This is proto slasher, I guess you would say. But I love that. Like these are all Texas people. These kids are Texas people, and so they know, you know, certain parts of Texas little bit more rural than where I'm from, you know? So, and I mean, Texas is an amazingly big place. So, I mean, mm-hmm. not every, not every goddamn place is the stereotypical Texas place. Right. But no, everybody to... in rural Texas is a, a, a serial killer with a, with a leather face. Mask. I'm moving. <laughs> but what I really like about that scene in the van is they're trying, like, they're trying to be nice. They're trying to relate to this guy. Cause there's like, mm-hmm. okay, so yeah, he's, He's a bit of a hillbilly, but whatever. What the fuck? He's a person. We'll give him a fucking ride. Oh, okay. He's got this really big birthmark on his face. And he seems to be fond of cutting himself. And oh, now he's going to cut Franklin. He's going to take pictures and then burn them when we don't want to buy them. Okay, yeah, he's fucked up. Let's get him the fuck out of the van. But I mean, 
they try hard to <laughs> be nice to this. Well, it's, it's, I think it was the cutting that really yeah. un- unsealed the deal. <laughs> that's a moment like you let somebody in your car and then you know they just cut their hand open on your knife that's that's kind of a sign like hey you know maybe uh maybe don't give this guy any more rights but i like how it subtly sets up stuff because basically what he's doing is something he's done over and over again he accosts travelers talks to them so there's a method to his madness like he's yeah. insane but there's a method to it he cuts his hand he gets kicked out of the vehicle smears a symbol on the vehicle with blood and signals that, hey, once they show up, because they're only there's only one place they can show up is the gas station down the road. Right. Once they show up there, it's they're marked, you know, that they're the next ones. I, I really like that. I think we should just talk about some of the performances here. Uh just get into it. Like uh my I don't know about you guys, but my favorite performance out of this is uh, Jim Cedow as the uh, older brother slash the cook. I mean he, he was a professional actor, so he was saddled with all these sort of college kids who are, you know, maybe just amateur actors or not even actors when they got into this. I just love his performance because it kind of rings true as a guy who has probably slowly gone crazy over the years, but at the same time, he tries to control himself every once in a while. Like, he snaps out of it. Mm-hmm. Like, you see, you see moments where he tries to instill order in the chaos, mm. but... As he watches, you see on his face, he just slowly, he starts laughing and smiling again. And he, he just starts getting into it. And, and goddamn, stop being crazy, you know? <laughs> and then he start, <laughs> starts laughing. Yeah. And the best thing about him is his face. Like I mentioned, we just did Tales from the Crypt on the City of the Dead podcast. And those are based on comics that have a certain uh, artistic style where you see a lot of details on the face of the characters. His face is right out of fucking Tales from the Crypt. He, he's got this very highly articulated uh, face with, for expression, and it just looks like once he goes crazy, it just goes depraved. It's a, a total changeover from the sort of amicable, oh, yeah, a rural guy owns a gas station, seems, uh, you know, upright, uh, forthright, whatever, you know, uh, normal guy. But then he just he start he starts fucking smiling and it just goes all fucking sideways whenever he starts my, smiling. My favorite, absolute favorite is look what your brother did to the door. How doesn't he have no pride <laughs> yeah. in his home? You know, it's just like, oh, that is fantastic. He tries to get outraged and then slowly he just jumps right back into the insanity and gets into it. Well then yeah, he just... and then right after that he's wondering about you know, he was yelling at Leatherface about which kids he got, who got away, and this and that. Okay, yeah, you, you, and he didn't have anything to yell at him about. He went, you, you damn fool, you ruined the door. <laughs> you ruined the door, you damn fool. He beating him. Like, ah, yeah. ah, ah, ah. <laughs> Then he started beating him. Yeah, and yeah, it's great. I mean, like, especially in the, in, in the, in the, 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 the famous dinner scene, and you can just randomly see him, like, going to, like, straight face to laughing to straight mm-hmm. face to just randomly straight. And uh, it's great. I like the fact that half of his lines were not lines. When he's trying to talk to Sally, like, nah, you just, like, like, I was like, oh, are you speaking? Because I'm pretty sure half of it was just like, now don't get excited now. And then he beats the crap out of her with that. I mean, literally. Beats the crap out of him yeah, with that that we'll, we'll that bro. We'll, we'll get into poor Sally's predicament. Yeah. It's so great. I mean, this is another film you will never be able to make again. Yeah, what one of many that you can just, yeah. you can't do it. You can't make these films anymore. 
that you use two words immediately that I always, I use to describe this, which is visceral, real, you know, mm-hmm. that that real surreal and raw. Yeah, because there, it is kind of surreal as well because it just goes nuts. Like it like it is psychedelic in a way because I mean this this is coming from a bunch of fucking hippie filmmakers who are <laughs> fully invested in trying to do that sort of thing as well. Be- Toby Hooper's previous film was about, which I think starred uh, his co-producer partner, Kim Hinkle as this mostly naked hippie guy doing lots of drugs. Like that was, <laughs> I think that was one of his previous films. So you were born I, for this role. I yeah. know. So that, that's what they're going for. But I mean, yeah, uh, Jim C. Dow's performance is amazing. And I think it's one of sort of a trifecta of really great. Perf- well, actually no, of, four really great performances in this because you got that you've got Gunnar Hansen as I mean he actually spent time in a home for the mentally disabled to try to pick up some of their mannerisms he was actually trying to be sensitive about it and, <laughs> and trying to make a realistic portrayal of someone who is maybe mentally disabled and like lived in a abusive rural family that we're never going to get this guy help at all, you know? So uh, I think his performance is really good. Like there is a reading. What what this family really needed was like a robust social safety net, you know, (laughs) (laughs) they needed some healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they they also hint that um, economically they were just kind of left behind basically is, is, is kind of like the excuse for them becoming cannibals, which, okay. So they became cannibals that quick. All right. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Who knows? Who knows how long it's been? Slaughterhouse closed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've known some people system. who have been starving for a while, and none of them tried to eat me yet. But yeah. hey, well, you happen. don't live. You don't live in Texas. Well, I, I yeah, I you would know, just you say have healthcare in Canada, Lee. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah I guess. Hey, true. No, true. It's like, well, you know, like, well, sure, lots of people wouldn't eat me, but I that I'm a dirty scumbag, so I understand that. But you know what I mean? Like, that's an insult to you, Lee. I mean, I'd eat you a lot faster than other people would. Well, I but appreciate that, Paul. I don't even need to be hungry. So, you know, it's, it's, it's <laughs> well, I, I appreciate. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, if you want, if you feel that's a compliment, I would totally chop off your leg and roast it. I'm okay it's supposed to be valued. It is. Yeah, I, it is. I would make sure that you live so we can both enjoy it. You know, share and share alike. You know? All right. Yeah, we can still I'll, do beer reviews and shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, you, you don't eat a prize podcast host like that all at once, Paul. No. You have to yeah, save you, you have to do a proper whiskey and beer pairing. Other two really great performances in this. First off, I'll mention Franklin. Uh, uh, I, th- I think it's a great performance because he's so goddamn annoying. Yeah. At the time, nobody quite knew that he was doing a method performance, so everyone is really like li- literally irritated with him, mm-hmm. and that comes out in their performances as well. How irritated they were with him. Mm-hmm. But Paul Partain was actually doing a method performance there. And so, goddamn, that's a great performance. Franklin is an oh, annoying... Yeah, Franklin's perfect. He, annoying outcast who has had his last straw, but at the same time, everyone who has sort of had to basically drive him around and carry him in their social group has also had their last straw. So, like, like it all comes to a head right at the start of this movie, basically. Sally, get back and push down. God, <laughs> Sally! Sally, Sally, we we should just take the van, Sally, and go. Yeah, we, we just we just go, Sally. Come on Jerry, now. Jerry has the keys. Yeah, <laughs> Jerry has the keys. Oh, yeah. I I like because he he did say in one interview he's like I was afraid I'd lose him if I ever took him off, so I had to keep him on. 
and yeah. they hated me for it. And but that was good because I wouldn't want to be near me either because I was an asshole. <laughs> and they, I was like, well, he knows. It's just it's just nice to know that they actually all made up afterwards. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. because you know they're all amateur actors, so why would they understand that he's a method performer at that point, right? I mean, it makes sense. And years later, they all sort of made good. So that that's nice to hear. But there's this realism to the performances here that kind of gets you into that docudrama sort of field. Yeah. And well, uh, there's a naturalism to it, even the way he like mm-hmm. plays with the knife, you know, even the decision to have a character in a wheelchair. I mean, you know, I mean, it's such an interesting decision, right? You know, especially since that's, I mean, he, you know, the actor is not someone who's in a wheelchair. So bringing that element into it, you know, just, yeah, no, I, I really, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by that decision. Well, it works for the narrative too, because it gives them an excuse to keep them there for a longer period of time. Like it hampers them, right? Right. Him in a wheelchair makes them slow down, makes them stay there for a longer time, makes it more believable that they would end up running afoul of the cannibal family and getting killed. I mean, when Sally is stuck with Franklin at the end there, that really hammers that shit home, that shit, she's stuck because she has to take care of Franklin. She can't, you know, just leave him. So right. she's stranded there. And that just transitions to Marilyn Burns' performance, which I think is fucking stellar in this film, uh, especially since the shit she went through. She literally got hurt in this film. A lot of the blood on her is actually real. Yeah. she Like, she was getting whipped and smacked by branches and stuff when she was running, where she jumps out of the window to escape the family. There's a stunt shot showing her going over the window, but they did a pickup shot from behind showing her hit the ground. And she came from a, the the stunt shot was just from the ground floor window. So the stunt woman just jumped out of a ground floor window through fucking sugar glass. Mm -hmm. But she jumped from a scaffolding to get Mm -hmm. that pickup shot shot and actually hurt herself. She sprained her ankle. So when you see her limping at the final finale of the film, she's Mm -hmm. actually limping. Like she's really Mm -hmm. limping. And she got like two black eyes in this film, just yep. getting whipped by shit. And <coughs> she actually had to get cut in the scene where they cut her to uh, bleed her into the grandpa character's mouth. They couldn't get the tube to work for the cut effect behind the knife. So they actually had to cut her to uh, get blood out of her. Yeah. So yeah, they, I mean, had a, they had this scene where it was a, that two, there was two foot drop that you had to make through the window mm-hmm. that that wasn't very safe. So they'd let her drop from like six or seven feet. Yeah. <laughs> but that was safe. Oh, whatever. You know, what a weird decision, man. I mean, this whole production was just, it was set up to have some sort of fuckery going on because you're, you're shooting in Texas in the summer in a heat wave in Texas at that hotter than usual in Texas. They shot longer than they expected. For instance, Gunnar Hansing had to wear the, the same goddamn shirt for weeks on end mm-hmm. and they could not clean it because they were scared. It was going to like the dye in it would run out. So they had to keep consistency for the shots for continuity's sake. So they're like, you can't wash the shirt. So he was wearing the same goddamn shirt for about a month in the Texas heat and everybody stunk on this production from what I've seen on the sort of the documentaries and shit with this, the smell was just so goddamn bad that they, you know, eventually they got used to it. But Gunnar Hansen was saying like, yeah, I was the stinkiest motherfucker there. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people who did get visit violently ill on the set, on the set, mm-hmm. especially because right. the, the cooking bones and the cooking raw. Right. 
rotting flesh that's all over the place. I love the fact that they used all these animal bones and human parts and things with it, and then the fake skin. And they tried to make the, like everything was just just find it in your backyard and throw it in a trailer and nail it to this. And I mean, I, the name escapes me at the moment, but the fact that he went through and, and made all these different parts and all this stuff. And he came up with good ideas about not making the meat hook go all the way through and, and set up all these set designs with all this live chickens and dead animals and, and wrapped them around uh, chairs and things like that. All the bones and got that Ed Gein vibe to like the 10th right. level. And I think without that, I don't think the film would have been as as incredibly shocking and surreal. Well, yeah, get into let's get into that for the set design of this film because that's another big piece of why this film's so effective. This is the big part where this draws from Ed Gein. You, you'll see a lot of people say, "Oh yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Leatherface, totally inspired by Ed Gein and shit." Like, yeah, in part, true, true. But the biggest parts you see are actually the set designs in the house. Um, yeah. because that was stuff Ed Gein actually did. He would make furniture out of bones, mm-hmm. you know? He, so that was very much present in the set design here. Like lots of chicken bones, animal bones. Uh, they were getting, um, dead dogs, dead pets, whatever, uh, that were being like burnt down or boiled down or whatever to strip the flesh. They were getting the bones, putting them in the house. Again, the table scene, which apparently took, an immense amount of time to fucking shoot, which is why it became hours. Yeah, which why it became so hectic. That shit was just baking in the fucking heat. And they also had they had the entire room blacked out because they were shooting during the day, so they had to keep they had to keep the light out. So they had those windows blacked out, and they had fucking of course the really hot fucking lights inside to actually get light while they're shooting, which just raised the temperature to. Above, way above 100 degrees. Gunnar Hansen said uh, 120 was really a, soft a low, estimate. Yeah, a low yeah. estimate would be 120. Yeah. yeah. So, so these it guys were. It was already 100 outside to begin with. Marilyn Burns, the clothes she was wearing, she had worn those bloody soaked clothes for so long that when she finally took them off, they were just stiff. Yeah. <laughs> and she had to put them back on because they lost, they didn't have a good shot of the final scene. She had to actually come back and put those on. But yeah, I mean, the set design in this is great. All those little bones and like feathers and shit in the bones. Like how dirty does that fucking feel? Yeah, seeing it's great. that poor Seeing that poor girl just fall into that room and like move around. Like how many diseases are you picking up right there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> just coming in contact with that shit. <laughs> and then you see live chickens in the fucking cage, mm-hmm. which just mm-hmm. adds a weird contrast to that whole thing. Yeah, it just reminded me of my. We had a band trailer just like that, basically growing up. We all, the, the band trailer that we had with all the shit set up had bones hanging from the ceiling everywhere, and it was great. That was great. <laughs> it was definitely an impact on us on our psyches. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre it follow it follows us even to this day. It has not stopped. But yeah, you, Daniel, what think of the other performances on this one? I really like the uh, the, the final girl. I'm sorry, I don't know her name. Marilyn Burns. Marilyn Burns. Yeah, I think I think she's phenomenal. Um, I think performance like that is so um, it's so central to the film because I mean, basically, for the last 20 minutes, we're really just kind of following her around, and it's it would be really easy to just be scared, you know, and 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 scream. I mean. She's not just a scream queen. I mean, I think there is a an element of like we empathize, you know. Uh, with her, and I think that that's a uh, there's a humanity there that that doesn't get lost in the in the mayhem. I really love her. Um, I actually really love the um, 
I mean, I do, I do love the uh, the cook. I do love that performance as well. But again, I really, I really do want to uh, call out the hitchhiker. I think he's really phenomenal. He's good too. Um, yeah. Uh, again, in that in that particular scene, but then later on in the in the dinner scene, I mean, you know, it's it's. I mean, there's not a weak performance in the in the bunch, particularly in that in that sequence. I mean, you know, these are four people who each kind of have their own personalities and motivations, and each kind of have their own thing they want in this moment. You really, I mean, again, it's a simple thing. You know, <laughs> when you watch the film, you know, it's not it's not such a uh, this isn't this isn't Merchant Ivory drama or anything. But I mean, you know, you really get a sense of. Like there are different personalities that are kind of pushing and pulling on events, even in a, in a fairly straightforward kind of. Don't uh, they actually feel like a family too? Yeah, they do. They do. And and they're, 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 it's like there are there are like arguments that they've been having for twenty years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they, which they, one? Yeah. Which one of them are they feeding off of this time to make the next decision? You broke the door. You know, like that seems like so. Like, God damn it, you broke the door again. Just like when for, you were twelve. For Leatherface's character too, uh, the interesting thing is there is just Leatherface, the person there somewhere underneath the mask, but he generally takes on the personalities of the masks that he puts on. Mm-hmm. So there's almost a uh, ambiguous kind of oh, thing of there where, where, where he has the, uh, the female mask where he's, he's almost the uh, default female, like he's the, the matri- he's, he's definitely the female role in the family. He plays that role. Yes, yeah, yeah. 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 What I really like is even though these guys are fighting and these are all brothers, by the way, they're sometimes you see uh, Jim Cedo incorrectly called the father of these characters. They're actually all brothers. He's just a much older brother, although he might be father and brother. You never know. Yeah, but um, oh, yeah, there's a real deliverance aspect. Although this is pre-deliverance, so you know. Yeah, uh-huh. when, when you see when, when you see their interaction, though, it does feel like family fighting, and I love that. Even though they're all fighting each other. They have this reverence for their grandpa, who has who is 124 years old at this point in this film, um, <laughs> and is barely alive. But they feed him the blood of their victims to keep him alive somehow, which kind of echoes back to uh, ravenous. Yeah, oh yeah, the cannibal uh, Wendigo eat yeah. people you to stay forever. young kind of thing. Yeah, and of course that was a uh, Jim Duggan who was what eighteen, nineteen years old at that time under yes. intensive yeah. makeup, yep. and they yep. only had him for a limited time. So in the shooting for him, they had him in the makeup for like thirty hours or something like that. <laughs> yeah, and that's so, one of the one of the other reasons why well, they were losing Jim Seidel after the dinner scene. That's one mm-hmm. of the reasons why it went so long. The other one is they ran out of prosthetics for Grandpa. Right. So they kind of had to get it. But I love that they all have this reverence for him as the matriarch of the family who's like the original killer, the best killer ever, you know? like He's a one whacker. Yeah. He's right with a <laughs> I hammer. love they keep shoving a hammer in his hand and he just keeps, you know, he's dropping but, it. Well, and it's such a, a moment because, again, not, not having seen it, you know, you kind of like expect, oh, they're going to bend and then like, hey, the tub. And they're like got this whole like thing that they do. I mean, you know, it's clearly they know what they're all doing. They're treating people like farm animals, you know. I mean they're they're you know, they're gonna butcher her. You think, okay, like we've seen people get killed with hammers in this film already. So, you know, and then they're gonna hand him the, and then he's just he keeps missing. And I mean, there's just this visceral terror to that. You know, the idea mm-hmm. of even if you're there and like, okay, I'm dead, there's nothing else I can do. And then the idea that he's just fumbling around with it. There's something really uh, 
the fact that it's inefficient is even more disturbing than if he just bashed her and, and then it's over. You know, and, yeah, and the best right. the best thing is that um, <clears throat> it's it's a family moment. It, it, it's, yeah, it's they're very, bonding. It's very, it's very ritualistic. Yeah. Like this is this is what yeah. this family does. It's, it's like dad cutting the turkey on Thanksgiving. Yeah, he is no longer a one whacker. Yeah, and also if you notice on leather uh, Leatherface's main mask, he has this big stitch scar right on the top there. That's where he hit that person in the head with a hammer. Yeah, yeah. Uh-oh. Every 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 mask has its own yeah. particular head wound. Yes, yeah. that's the nice thing about it. Yeah, the attention to detail in this film is amazing. People might want to watch this film and dismiss it as just like a grindhouse cheapy or whatever, but there was actually 868 edits done to this 90-minute film. Mm-hmm. The editing was actually professionally done. You know, yeah. The thing with like exploitation films, I mean, a lot of the kind of the real cheapies is that they just kind of look like crap because they're you know they shot things like twice and you know mm-hmm. it's just, okay take the best take and move on. <coughs> this isn't that. <clears throat> this is very intentionally put together, you know, on yeah, a right. small budget. But like, there's a there's a real like beating heart to this, and I, and, and I would it shows. I would love to see see <clears throat> they the actors knew Gunner. They've talked to Gunner. Everything was fine, mm-hmm. and then they started shooting the film, and Gunner disappeared during the right. the the pre prerequisite parts of the film, and they never saw Leatherface ever. So yeah. when it was their turn to get killed, Leatherface would just pop out all decked up, and they've never seen him before. And the people just freaked the fuck out when they saw him for the first time. Even though they knew it was fake, they knew it was a film. I would love to see those first outtakes of them freaking the fuck out when they first see him. Because Jerry actually got so scared because there was a guy actually holding Jerry by the back of the pants yeah. that was supposed to help him fall down immediately like a, like a, he got hit with a you know the sledgehammer. He got so scared he screamed and fought, got loose of the guy and ducked and jumped ran. out the and then basically dove out the door. Yeah. Past Leatherface and then ran for it. And that was and, a literal literally literal fear. Yeah. And I'm Jerry, like, Jerry was the guy in, with glasses, by the way, for those listening, if if you if you don't if you're not uh, entirely yeah, sure, basically everyone had a perm back then, and Jerry did scream like a girl. <laughs> <laughs> those scenes are effective too with the hammer. Really well done. How they pulled those off, they look like that. He hit him with a hammer. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it, it's very well done, and they just did it in one shot or whatever. It's you, again, you, you you keep trying to. Uh, People keep trying to downplay this film and try to second guess it and shit. And as Toby Hooper at this point was 30 years old, he knew how to make fucking films. Yeah, well, Maybe. yeah. And he, he had a, a different outlook on things, too, because one of the things, the first kill in the film of Hank, I wouldn't have thought. See, he thought about it more. What happens when you got hit in the head with a hammer? You know, first brain matter, uh, shards of skull would go in your mm-hmm. brain, which would cause tremors and seizures and, you know, things like that. And yeah. like, and I wouldn't have thought about that. I would just be like, you know, you crush the motherfucker and he's dead. And that's why Hank started flopping and flipping around on the floor. And I'm like, that is beautiful i love the way toby hooper talks about this shit in interviews too because he's he's such a mild-mannered laid-back reserved guy but he talks about this stuff so frankly 
but at the mm-hmm. same time, you can see he's kind of like skeeved out about it. By the way, same time, yeah, and brain shimmers would go in there, and oh god, it's terrible. It's like, like he, he he's on, actually but... disturbed by the stuff he thinks of, yeah. which is well, just... we 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 spent a long time trying to figure out ways to kill people, and it, yeah. you know, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> when you get hit in the head with a hammer, a piece of skull goes into your brain, and it's, it's not very nice. And yeah. then, like it says, he says this kind of calm, like weird, and then he's like, "Oh, it's it's, it's unpleasant." <laughs> it's I Absolutely love Toby I, Hooper. I mean, I've seen I've seen interviews with people who are like mystery writers, or, and uh, you know, it's like, well, yeah, I just I spent like a week trying to figure out how to poison somebody. You know, so, yeah. you know there's there's a there's a lot of that in that in that kind of genre because you know you got to be clever, you got to kind of figure out some new way, and uh, you know, it, it does get it does get morbid. But I mean, it, it, it's funny how like again, just uh, I don't I don't know Hooper's Hooper's personality all that well, but um, you know, Romero was such like a kind man, and yet you know was so. Uh, I mean, you know, known Hooper, for this stuff, and they're 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 very similar. I mean, they were both died in the wold, like anti-establishment generation kind of dudes. Yeah. I mean, they, they they were both from that kind of that sort of idea, you know, anti anti Nixon, anti Vietnam War kind of guys, you know, i.e. reasonable human beings. Yes, got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my my actually, the one thing is, I always noticed whenever I listen to Gunner. I almost get the vibe that I'm like, I don't know. They're so similar in voice and tone to George Romero, like Gunner is. It's a weird, Gunner weird. Is, like, yeah. it's like, wow, I just, I feel like I'm talking to George. It's weird. He has this kind of similar tone in his voice. Well, Gun- Gunner's like that gentle giant kind yeah. of guy, right? And I guess Romero is too, because Romero was like six five. He was a very shit. big, yeah, he's a big boy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I mean, yeah, and Gunner Hansen, I mean, I was, I was Did watching. Did he have like a math degree or something? Did I read that right? Uh, he might have. He he was he was an educated guy. Like he was a poet and shit before he yeah. started acting, and he and he was a writer and all that. He watches interviews. He's incredibly articulate. Like I was watching the uh, documentaries on the DVD before we did the podcast, and I mean the guy he just kept talking about you know very reasonably. Yeah, they kept offering me Leatherface in the subsequent sequels, and they weren't going to offer me anything above scale. So I said no. <laughs> they offered uh is it part two or part three they ought no is it part three they offered him scale plus 10 percent. that was and part then, two actually and then and then they said why 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 the 10 percent? well that's for your agent uh but uh that's too low so uh you know come back you know come back with another figure and then they came back with scale and they dropped the ten percent, and then he goes, uh, "Why did you drop the ten percent?" Well, we found out you don't have an agent, so you don't need the money. Yeah, like they just uh, these people have been literally given no respect at all. That was fucking canon. They did that to him. Oh yeah, yeah. So so I mean that's understandable. And then when they got to part three, it was just it was out of their hands. It was studio shit saying basically we're not going to give him any more in scale. What why the fuck would we? You know mm-hmm. so. Well, I didn't but know I mean, this too, but like part two and part three were completely obliterated by their by their owners, by the by the film companies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, two wasn't even done, I guess, and they made it into a the complete film. Like it's, I didn't know that. I still enjoy both films, but I really now would have loved to see what the directors would have made the films. Toby Hooper had a final cut and he had all the footage for it as well. But from what I understand, even he said, it's like that footage is probably gone. It's just probably yeah. gone. So, I mean, Ooh, Canon, Canon fucking raped that film. They, they kept sending him money and then 
taking money away, basically second-guessing all his decisions because they basically wanted him to make the Texas Chainsaw Massacre over again. Yeah, they, they just didn't... wanted it just wanted the same film regurgitated again and again and right, again right. and again. Yeah. So I'll, I'll go to a little bit of trivia pieces here. Um, at that point, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is uh, it was one of the most successful independent films in history. Uh, but you can't get necessarily accurate earnings for this film because the guys they signed up for, for distribution was uh, Brian Stinn Pictures, which was a mafia. short-lived mafia yeah. group. <laughs> the Cosa Nostra. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they basically took all their money. And not, to the, not that they only take all their money. They took all the money of the actors and stuff. Like all the actors talk about how uh, they originally had points in the film. What they didn't understand was they had basically had points in the points that the makers of the film had with this dis- distribution company, which basically a- ended up to nothing. One guy said, um, yeah, my first royalty check was $47, even yeah. though the movie was making over $100 million at that point in the yeah. box office. Later, so, later, I guess they sued. They actually, uh, was, that Ken, was it Ken that went there? And then talked yeah. I think so, yeah. From the from the, the leader of that, and the, he said, "Well, if you don't give us our money or whatever, or the original books, we're going to sue you." And then, and then he's like, "You don't have the balls to sue me," that kind of thing. And he's yeah. like, "He well, he was right. I didn't sue him there. I came back to Texas and sued him." <laughs> yeah, because they they had a meeting with the dude, the head of fucking mm. Bryanston Pictures, and he had two big mafia thugs on either side apparently while they were having the meeting. So, but yeah, they got to a point where I think another company bought the rights to it just totally flat out for like $400,000 and gave a little bit more money back to everybody involved. But I mean, still then everybody wasn't made whole. I mean, you see interviews in the last few years, there's still tension there with a lot of people where they're saying $400,000 probably should have just been divided up amongst the cast themselves. That's how much money they got screwed out of. Some of them will say nice things because, hey, it was the 40th anniversary or whatever, and I'm going to get some money out of this deal now because of DVD and appearances and all that shit. Yes. But for the most part, for years, everybody, like, there was a lot of sour cast members and production members in this film. Mm-hmm. This, I don't even want to talk to Toby Hooper. Fuck this shit, you know. Apparently, Gunnar Hansen, uh, when he was on the film, he, he could run faster than Marilyn Burns. So that's why you see him doing all that shit where he's, like, chainsawing trees and shit just to give her time to <laughs> run away la, 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 so, la, la. so he could catch up with her. It wasn't until... Uh, 2000 that uh, the British Film Board lifted its ban on the film so it could be distributed in England. So mm. that's how long this was infamous in there. Germany apparently is even worse. Yes, uh, Germany is always worse. It was released in Germany, but I, I think they cut it down to under 70 minutes. They which... wow. in, in Britain, they said uh, they couldn't pinpoint one particular moment in the film that they could cut, that they felt needed cut, However, mm-hmm. they felt the whole film in general was a danger to society. And that's why they put it on. The, they couldn't find anything to cut, but they put the whole film because they're like, well, the film in its entirety and the way it's shot and the, the vibe it gives you is enough reason to say it's a, it's a crime against society and we need to put it on our list. Doesn't, like, that speak to the over, doesn't that speak to the overall success of the movie? Where it's, yeah. there's, there's not single scenes you can think of cut, cutting out. It's like the entire feeling, the entire mood of the entire movie is so oppressive yeah. and just unnerving. Yeah. Just like, fuck, the whole movie has to go. I just, I just love how 
there's still these sports where these can't go and this and this, and this is a dangerous society and all this. I said, yeah, they did that in Germany in 1931. They did that a lot. Yeah. You, know, they, you know what I mean? Like, and people still think it's okay to have these sports that tell people what to think and what they can't watch. And it's like, you know, I understand, you know, there's certain things that you can cut out of a film because of certain reasons. For instance, when I went into Germany in 2010, they just released Halloween 2. Right. I'm like, really? You just, you just, you were just, you just literally released the film that's as old as I am. Yeah. And, okay. And in and, and fun fact, the, the cut that's, uh, apparently the cut that's in Germany right now is a 75 minute version. That's wow. the new longer version, apparently. That's the new longer ADD, one. Wow. Okay. That's great. Where the movie itself is uh, 83 to 88 minutes. Uh, I'm, assu- I'm assuming the first the first cut of the German version was all just butt shots. <laughs> could, could have been. <laughs> you know what? I want that version. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that's yeah, that's, that's the good version, really, right? Yeah. That's oh, the yeah. fantastically German version. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, budget for this was 60000 initially, and then there was a bunch of extra money added on to it as well. IMDb says 300000 which I don't know where the fuck they get that from. That seems incredibly high. Uh, uh, even with Mafia influence, uh, it seems incredibly high. Although gross was $30 million at the time, which if you um, adjust it for today's standards, $146 million in the box office. Just in the U.S. apparently, and rentals as well got like fourteen million. So it was an incredible success, at least for uh, whoever had the rights to it. Not necessarily right. the people who made it. <laughs> I, I think we should take a sec to talk about the uh, sound design for this as well, because I think that's another important part of it. Uh, before we get to our final thoughts, I really love the soundtrack for this. Uh, there's there's some like just sort of outlaw country stuff on the soundtrack that are actual songs, mm-hmm. but then you have Wayne Bell and Toby Hooper. Yes. They basically spent their time recording different sounds. So they had this entire library of sounds and then they just started mixing them together for the atmospheric. Right. That's when I realized how much drugs he did. (laughs) When he, I heard, I heard some stories from Wayne Bell saying, I got, well, what I'll do is I'll randomly get home and then there'll be a call from Toby and I, I'll get the message board. He goes, okay, we're doing ice today. We're going to focus on ice. And I'm like, wow, he is so out of it with Coke. It's great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he used all kinds of stuff. Like he had this weird African instrument that he just, mm-hmm. he was taking like a tuning, tuning fork across. Um, apparently the no, it was uh, a bow. It was a bow. He was strumming it with a bow as hard as right. he could. Yeah, and that's yeah, and then like the uh, tuning fork across guitar strings, I believe, is the uh, the the snap like the flashes from the camera sound. The that's the great that's the greatest sound in the whole film. I, I yeah. love that sound. They were really experimenting with shit. Like, and apparently Hooper was just so into that before he even made this film, where just like yeah. experimental music. So they were they were just taking all these household items, real instruments, uh, weird shit, mm-hmm. and just making sounds, and then just taking all the sounds and combining them however the fuck they wanted to. Oh, see, I like I like to see that. That's another thing. That's something that is completely different from the fifties and sixties too, because in the fifties and sixties you had. The horror genre, okay, we don't have money to make a good score. We're going to just, you know, 
timpani this and timpani that or, dun, 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 or just like use some weird spacey effects here and spacey effects there. Those guys were already playing with the abnormal. You know, they were already playing with the surreal kind of kind of crazy out there vibes with stuff like that. So they they did it because they weren't going to use regular music. They were going to make their own stuff. They already knew yeah. that. And that brought a whole new atmosphere and a new direction to films that generally in the horror society wasn't there at the time. Even Night of the Living Dead was stock, stock yeah. noises. You know what I mean? It wasn't, we didn't, we had a, you know, two amazingly epic film people, you know, musical people working on it. No, it was just still a stock film. So the 70s brought on that whole new genre. And then you get Goblin and everything goes, you know, okay, forget everything else. Because you have Goblin. <laughs> But you know, at the same time, but these this is the shit. This is this is still new age cutting shit that you had going on. That wasn't you're just your regular old, you know. I just think if you just threw the stuff that, you know, I was a teenage Frankenstein and threw that score on top of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it would just completely ruin the film. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. It just wouldn't work with all the stock kind of crazy sci fi sounds and horror movie generic sounds, you know, this is it gives everything this vibe that I don't, you don't, you never come back from it. Once you first actually see Texas Chainsaw, you just, the surreal vibe from it, you just kind of sticks with you. At least it, it stuck with me anyway. I don't know, yeah. but you know, some people can just walk away from it going, I got nothing out of it, but I certainly did. Watching it more and more and seeing other films after it actually just heightens my love of this film. Where you see the influences of this film, how it's how it's gone on, and, and how it's informed other films. It's just the the more films you see, the more you see Texas Chainsaw Massacre in it, mm-hmm. and just makes you appreciate it more. And that's why that's why I love this film so much. It's just, it's, and I, it's, I I live in the country. I have swung a chainsaw around like an idiot. <laughs> I, because of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I, as soon as you fire up a chainsaw and no one's looking, I have to do the spin. I have to do the little, hey, you doing? There you go. There we go. It just, it's something you do. Well, did you have a metal plate on your leg with hamburger on top of it for the... Lick, uh, lick, my, lick my plate, dog dick. <laughs> That's all I can say. Yeah. Yeah, but I that did is... chainsaw my pants right where he did, but that was more of an accident. Because that's the only real chainsaw effect you see is where he actually chainsaws himself in the leg. Like, he chainsaws Franklin, but it's, it, you know... It's I, pretty... That's the best part. That's the only real gore you see in the film. This film still actually uses your brain instead. Yeah, you know how they did the Franklin thing, too? They were spitting at him. Yeah, they were spitting blood. There, <laughs> there were two, spitting two people on either chainsaw. side of Franklin spitting blood on Gunner Hansen. <laughs> even there. Franklin, he said even he had stuff in his yeah. mouth. He was like, yeah, I'm just, we just spit and spit until we couldn't spit anymore. <laughs> I'm like, that's great. Well, I, I think we should move on to uh, final thoughts here. So, uh, Daniel, I'll go to you first, sir. It's a great film. I'm definitely going to be revisiting it, kind of getting uh, getting more of the technical side of it. Um, I really admire it. And uh, I, I'm glad I finally got to see Toby Hooper. So we're, I'm going to watch some more, definitely. So hopefully next month we'll get a, we'll get a chance to, to kind of visit some of these films and uh, yeah. talk about it some more. I like it. Sweet. Sorry, I'm oh. a little tired. I'm not, I, I, I've been a little low energy tonight, but like, you know, it's, it's fun. fun. It's fun. It's fun listening to you guys talk about it more so than uh, me talk about it. So, Yeah, uh, Paul. Wow, this this is like I said, it's a film that that's kind of ridden with me ever since I was a kid. I'm a weird sob anyway, so I kind of love to personify myself as a fucking weird son of a bitch. And I, you know, I still have 
on my front porch uh, things I made out of bones that are just like wind chimes and stuff like that just because I watch Texas Chainsaw. I mean, it's just, it doesn't leave you once you're, you're a freak ed like I am and you just kind of love it. You know, it's just great. Uh, it's definitely a film that, that everyone has to see. I hate the idea. I, I mean, I loathe and I would literally love to actually chainsaw people to death when I hear them say, Oh, I saw the remake, but I've never seen the original. I mean, like, yeah. I just, you know, well, I never killed you before, but I could give it a go. You know, I, that kind of thing. <laughs> I just I just don't like people, <laughs> you know, and it just pisses me off because the remake is so not good compared to the original anyway. I'm not going to say it's not good. I'm just going to say it's not good compared to the original. Fair enough. You know, fair enough. There you go. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's speaking to a whole other crowd and a whole other mentality and a whole other mindset. These remakes don't speak to people who watched films back then. They don't right. because people are they don't they can't handle. Wait, they say twelve minutes, right? Twelve minutes in, and I didn't see breasts or a death. I cannot handle this. Like you know what I mean? I was like that when I was nine. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know that, like, so basically, although, whole, although uh, to be fair, to be fair. In the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you never see breasts and you don't see death for at least half an hour. So, yeah. Well, actually, yeah, you... the one thing about the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, apparently, there's outtakes of of tits when they went to go swimming. She was naked at the same really? time, and I'm like, where Where is that at? Where is well, this at? It's weird. That it doesn't even make sense because they went down there for the swimming hole and it was all dried up. Yeah, there's actually there's actually some footage of her walking through the the farmhouse that they were going to, so Sarah, uh, Sally's grandparents' farmhouse, and her right. tits are out. Yeah, and I'm like, what? 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 What happened? I know they're small, but I want them. Come on now, <laughs> what's, what's going this on? film now gets negative five stars. Yeah, you removed breasts from your plan. You are now the worst film ever made. I am telling. I'm going to go watch the the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street now because it's so much better of a film. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So for me, I love this film. I think uh, Toby Hooper is a criminally underrated filmmaker who, unfortunately, just was always in the wrong place at the wrong time as far as getting breaks to make film. As I was doing more research for this film, even I, I, I was starting to see there was even sort of doubt in this sort of widely sort of publicized idea that he was not the director of Poltergeist. And that's kind of a thing I've even spread on podcasts before saying, yeah, yeah, it was Steven Spielberg all along. But there's some credible evidence out there as well that he was unfairly maligned for that. And that was another kind of thing that sabotaged his career. And I just feel really bad that he didn't quite get the due that he was deserved. I think he is a filmmaker in the league of a Wes Craven or uh, even a George Romero to a certain degree. I feel kind of bad for him that he didn't get his due uh, sort of respect that he, I mm-hmm. think he deserved. And he made some really goddamn great films in his peak period. I mean, from Texas Chainsaw Massacre onward to the early eighties, he made Eaten Alive. He made uh, Poltergeist. He made Life Force. He made fucking Invaders from Mars. And I think those are all really good fucking movies. Yes. I actually oh, yeah. just watched Life Force because of your recommendation. Awesome. And I think Daniel's going to like Life Force as well quite a bit. All I can say is titties. 
titties, titties, nonstop goddamn titties in that film. Yeah. But no, um, to be to be completely fair, the special effects um, of that film uh, blow even like Return of the Living Dead out of the water. They do. They're really good. They're really, yes. really good. Yes. And yeah, I, but... I use Return of the Living Dead as a reference because you got to watch the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But um yeah, Toby Hooper I think was incredibly underrated even when he was saddled with like really shitty projects later in his career. You could still kind of see the talent there even if mm-hmm. the movie wasn't necessarily good. I just feel really bad that his last couple of years apparently weren't all that good and he just kind of died and it's really sad. Mm-hmm. Um but I mean Texas Chainsaw Massacre it is it's like Night of the Living Dead. I would compare it to that as far as kind of a one of those films no, that really absolutely. changed horror. Like it absolutely. really changed horror. Like everyone says Night of the Living Dead was the turning point and I would tend to agree. But if anything, fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre was really <clears throat> that final little stretch that kicked people over the fucking Night side. of the Living Dead opened the doors for everybody. Yeah. But it's 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 not about opening the doors. It's what happens when the doors are open that's really the big point. You know what I mean? And this is right. Texas Chainsaw Massacre happened because of that. So every yeah. turn, every everything that happens after Night of the Living Dead still changes and still turns the whole horror movie genre. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's a constant thing. It's not just one pivotal film and then and the rest is history. Yes, Night of the Living Dead has changed zombie movies forever, but that doesn't that open the door for other people to come in and change other genres forever. You know right. what I mean? And and well, without Texas Chainsaw Massacre, we would may never have pieces. And like things like you can walk it through and just see what we may never have had. So, I mean, there's I mean, a lot of things. I mean, even fucking Evil Dead. <sighs> probably not. I mean, yeah, no, no, you wouldn't have had Evil Dead. I mean, the chainsaw imagery alone is you can, I mean, there's no doubt that that is taken right back to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The, the of idea of a chainsaw is some sort of iconic thing in horror mm-hmm. movies is where yes. that's come from. And then you can even use the, the night of living dead being night of living dead plus Texas chainsaw is catalyst for that. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you just, and if you didn't have those two, you wouldn't have anything. I mean, they, they're, they're so prevalent in today's horror movies. Just to say they're not good films is almost a ludicrous thing to say. Even I know people have personal, like, you know, different perspectives on, on films, but mm-hmm. just the, the, you know, and actually, I, Jim Van Beaver said something pretty good. He's like, well, watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre is basically watching like Citizen Kane, depending on what you're trying to talk about. You know? I, yeah, like, I, yeah. I saw, yeah, I saw his talk about that where he says like Citizen Kane. And he also included Dawn of the Dead in that discussion. So Dawn, he's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, he did say that, didn't he? Yeah. So he, he was like, that's one of those seminal films that kind of yeah. changed film history. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. DVD info, there was a uh, Gianon uh, slash Pioneer release in 2003, which was a special edition, which is pretty goddamn good. I had that release. It was good. Uh, but then Dark Sky came out and fucking just destroyed all previous releases with their uh, two-disc Ultimate Edition for 2007, and they had a Blu-ray in 2008. And is then, the 2007 the metal box? It's the metal box. You that's must the one have the metal box. Yeah, it's, it's good stuff. It's fucking good stuff. And then there was a 2014 40th anniversary uh, release from Dark Sky as well in both formats. <sighs> yeah, I, I've seen the Blu-ray versions of it as well, pictures of it. 
even looks better, which surprised the fuck out of me because the uh, DVD release from 2007 looked immaculate. So good. I didn't think they could get it any clearer, but the Blu-ray retains the grain, yet somehow makes the film still look better, which is amazing. I'm, I'm just I'm thrilled how fucking good this film looks. That in part is also just because uh, Toby Hooper and the team he had behind him they right. knew how to fucking make movies. They just had inferior fucking film grain to work with at the time, but they got it cleaned up, and goddamn, it looks great. So I, those are I your remember. best options. Then I was uh, kind of going in and out of different, uh, you know, social groups at the time, and uh, I was drinking Thor's Hammer vodka quite regularly back in the day, <laughs> and uh, I used to go uh, get the hammer. Like I used to like yell, get the hammer. Bring the bitch yeah. on, bring the bitch on down. You know, and I used to do like the little, <laughs> like he has to do like these little crotch thrusts when he says it and stuff. Yeah. And I used to go to different bars that I knew and different, and these were like a whole different sect of people. They weren't all just horror movie fans or just metal heads or this or this. And I just now and again remember, get the hammer, like bring the bitch on down. I'm like, I'm I'm infecting people. I'm infecting people with with Texas chainsaws. It's amazing. Like I can hear this shit, and it's just it's it's such a great film, and it's a fun film. It is. And oh, I've actually have uh, we had a good time um, because I lived on a even though I lived close to the town, I lived on a road that just uh, had a lot of dirt, and uh, we had one night we were hanging out and. And my, my buddy had a broom for some reason. He came out and he smacked me in the face with it. And I got down in front of the car and he started, you, you little, you dog dick, you little coon shit. And he's like, I, I told you to stay away from that graveyard. And I'm like, ah, they didn't say nothing. And the dust was coming up in front of the headlights of the car that was on there. And I'm like, oh. Like, just, just Reminds me, that's, that's something I forgot to mention there. Uh, when I was talking about Marilyn Burns, basically getting beat to shit in this oh, film. Yes. Uh, that was another moment where she got beat to shit. Jim Cedow was trying to be really light on her, and they had to do so many takes because uh, Toby Hooper's going, "You're not beating her hard enough, Jim." Yeah, you, you gotta start I, hitting. I, mean, I felt I felt bad for Jim because he's like, I I just could I couldn't do it. I couldn't. Yeah, hit I didn't want to do it. Yeah. I didn't want to do it. You know. And then he said, on the eighth take, Marilyn just is like, just just hit me, Jim. Just hit me as hard as you can. Let's get this over with. I'm tired. Like just just beat yeah. the crap out of me. And he, and he's like. Uh, and the funny thing is it'll change because the real story is kind of like, you know, at the eighth take, she just begged them to beat the shit out of him because she wanted to get this over with. And he was like, yeah. oh, okay, I'll, I'll try, you know, and I'll, and he did it. But uh, some of us, he's like, well, you know, the more I did it, the more I got into it, the more like, I'm like, you fucking liar. Yeah, <laughs> no, you know? that's not Jim Siddow at all. Yeah, you know, no, no, he did not like doing that. And then, you know, and he did the same thing at, to Ed Neal. Was it Ed Neal, the hitchhiker? Yeah. Yeah, he did the same thing to him in front of that, and and he he was the hitchhiker was bitching because he's like you can't see a single skull shot in that whole fucking thing, but he beat the shit out of me in that dirt. You know, <laughs> like, like couldn't hit Marilyn where the fuck, but he beat the shit out of me without a problem. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, any final thoughts uh, from both of you before we uh, kick out of here? I'm good. Don't don't trespass in the country. Yeah, don't don't go to Texas, basically. <laughs> no, don't worry. I I mean I'll chainsaw you, shoot you, and eat you too. So just do not trespass in the country. 
Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. Especially when you go to a broken out down gas station and someone says, do not trespass around here, and they do it anyway. If a gas station offers you barbecue, in-house barbecue, there's probably a red flare. There's flags flying there at some point. You know, it's like... I would I would gladly eat that without a thought. Be like, no, I want that. I hope it's... Well, easy. they all enjoyed it, but, you know... Uh, it's, 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 uh, it's good long <laughs> pig, baby. I, you know... You don't want to take no girls over to old house. Those things are dangerous. Yeah. You know? uh, so, Especially with asses uh, like that. Why don't you just have sex? It's much funner. It's much more fun. <laughs> you know? uh, so next week, we're not going to have an official episode. It's just going to be the blood on the tracks. October, big things. Uh, we're going to try to do the same thing we did last October. We're going to have some bonus episodes and regular episodes and have all kinds of Fucking horror goodness for you guys. Going to try to uh, lock down some guests and shit and talk about stuff. It'll be a lot of fun. Until then, Daniel Harper, please tell people where they can find you on the interwebs. Best way to find me, just go to my Twitter, at Daniel E. Harper. Awesome. Paul, where can people find you, sir? PA Brew News, YouTube, Facebook, uh Oil paintings by Peter Malley, Facebook, the whole deal, this and that, and blah, blah, blah. I haven't done it in a long time. But October, starting a new job, should have, hopefully, lots of days off. Cool. Awesome. So should be involved more than I have been. There you go. Awesome, because uh, that, that works out well, because we we have some bonus content we need to dig into for October, so it should be fun. Yay. Yeah, uh, and as for this podcast, go to tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can find our iTunes slash Apple podcast link. You can find our YouTube. You can find our Facebook. Facebook, they must be destroyed on site is our group. Join that as the best place to get in touch with us to leave questions, comments, film suggestions, criticisms, recipes for fucking meatloaf and shit. As long as it doesn't have any of those uh, peppercorns in it, right, Paul? Those, those, mm, those, those, hard those shell hard, peppercorns. Those hard shell peppercorns. Uh, we, we probably should let save that joke for Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, but Fuck it, I'm I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people listening who are in the know for that one. So uh, the know, there you yeah, go. yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, until next time, guys, I'm not quite sure what's going to be the next official episode, but uh, it will be coming in October. Thank you all for listening, and thank you, Daniel and Paul, for joining me tonight. Awesome. Thanks a lot for having us. Yeah. All right. Goodbye. Hey.
<laughs> Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For past episodes and links to our iTunes, YouTube, and Facebook group, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can also find links to other podcasts and websites of similar interest. If you subscribe to us on iTunes, please consider giving us a five-star rating and a review. Please join our Facebook group, as it's the single best place to get in contact with the hosts and to know what's coming up on the podcast. Thank you. Drive through. <laughs>